Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody and welcome to episode 108 of Inside the Ropes. It's a different voice coming to you this week. Andy Ma sends his apologies, he can't make it and he has stupidly given me the reins today but I've been given some very responsible chaperones and I say good morning to you, Martin Blake, who's the first of which. Good Ellie. How are you doing? What a week it is. Have you come down yet? Not at all, no. The phone hasn't stopped ringing. Hannah Green's uh, major championship win. How often do we... After we see that, it was just brilliant, and uh, I've loved the week. Yeah, it's been pretty solid. How about you, Clates? How was your weekend? My week was pretty good so far. What was it? <laughs> was I saying, what was it Thursday? Thursday? Yeah, it's, no, it's been good. Ash Barty, Hannah Green, Sally Fitzgibbon, they're good women. Yeah, they are. They should be getting paid more than the men at this point. Front page of the papers. Yeah, no, they've been great. What a week it's been indeed, and a historic one at that. We've got plenty to talk about, and needless to say that this episode is going to be firmly planted and surrounded by news of Hannah Green's win on the weekend at the on the LPGA, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, the third ever Aussie woman to walk away with a major title. I was in Thailand when it happened. Did you cry? I think uh, you did. I you? am. I cry at the drop of the hat anyway, but I've got to say. But yeah, I did. I, I got pretty emotional. Did um, you cry, Clates? Yeah, everyone cried. Come on, everyone cried. Admit it. When they ran on the green. <laughs> look, look, the moment for me was when the, when that mob ran on the green. That's what got me. You yep. know, like Sue O, who she, you know, Clates, you obviously uh, are very good friends with Sue. So am I. Uh, we all are. I mean, uh, Sue O, she's been traveling with Hannah, which I didn't even realize. Um, Vakari to be out there, you know, spilling beer all over. It was just it was a fantastic moment for Australian golf. It was it was going to be water, I think, because well, that was the all they could was, get their hands on, wasn't it? Did you it? hear the story? You can't buy alcohol on Sundays after 6 o'clock in Minnesota. Ah. So Kari apparently spent $180 on beer in the clubhouse because that was all <laughs> oh, she could get. Oh, this is a good story. <laughs> and they were going around. To, Sue went to a restaurant to buy a bottle of wine, which you had to open, and then... She took it out of the so that there's kind of mass collection of alcohol to take back to the house <laughs> after the tournament. But can that really be 2019? You can't buy alcohol after six o'clock in Minnesota. So, Ali, normally when women win golf tournaments, they get showered with water, which I've always thought is pretty pathetic. Really, it's yeah. kind of a takeoff of the Formula One thing where they spray the you know Dom Perignon or something. Uh, a bit of bottled water is pretty pathetic. So I was actually really pleased that the Aussies sort of got some real alcohol and spilled it there. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that beer, beer is the worst of it though. Because to get it out of your I've clothes. seen someone, and I, I won't say who it was, that got covered in beer 
in uh, Pilsen in the Czech Republic and then got swarmed by, by bees after. <laughs> oh. So dangerous every and, now and then, but and we, we it turned gonna, out okay for Greeny. We are going to speak to Hannah later. We certainly are. We're also that? going to catch up with uh, her coach, Richie Smith. So it's kind of uh, all angles covered this week, as it, as it should be, quite mm. frankly. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, there was a little bit of golf around the world on the weekend. You had a lot to choose from if you wanted to tune in. You could kind of pick a time zone and see what worked for you. Yeah. Travelers, what? Sheds Reavy, who was third in the US Open as well. So nice week for him. But yeah, I mean, was anyone watching that? I wasn't. But... I, I didn't watch much. <laughs> <laughs> the admissions come out. Yeah, the greater heart that <laughs> opened. Nah, not doing it. No. Where were you, Ali? Uh, I was I was over in Thailand actually with the Ladies European Tour, and it was a bit of a shocker of a time zone if you wanted to tune in live to the to the US. So I'll admit that the first couple of rounds I tuned in for a couple of hours at night as I was doing my prep for our event the next day. Just had it on in the background, but um, first, I mean, wired a wire winner. So they well. have the, they have their own. Lydia Ko, don't they, who won in Thailand? They do, yes. Well, I mean, to say she's version a version of Lydia Ko, yeah. Very, very similar um, trajectories. I mean, as close as probably we're going to see anytime soon, you'd have to think. Um, Attire Titical, who had won the Ladies European Thailand Championship two years ago as a 14-year-old amateur, becoming the youngest ever winner of a professional golf event anywhere. Um, and she kind of just proved it wasn't, wasn't a fluke. Um, she came out and she changed her swing. She looks like a complete player at the age of 16. Huge call. But I ha- I've got to tell you, it was seriously impressive from T all the way through to the green and naturally the scorecard as well. So what's her plan? Uh, I think at the, I'd say at the moment, maybe she might turn pro next year. I'll be surprised if she doesn't turn pro in 2020 just because I don't think there's anything else for her mm. to do. Um, just to, just to give you an idea of kind except of the, grow up the picture, perhaps. yeah. Except have a childhood, yeah. <laughs> have a childhood, Which yeah. I think she's actually doing a pretty good job of. Um, the Thai players seem to have an incredible perspective while they're um, during kind of their high performance development that they still do a lot of kind of playful things at night. Like they're, they're spending, I think, 120 to 150 days a year with the Thai Golf Association. Like that's is literally like one every three As a days. Teenager. As a teenager, yeah, mm. and so the the amount of effort that's going into Thai golf is no doubt. I mean, they're starting to see the rewards already. We look at the Jatanagans and how many Thai players there are on tour now. It's it's growing mm. exponentially. I see, Blakey, you've got on your pad there, Michelle Wee? Question mark. Which yeah, is I which wanted, is a, I which to is ask, a cautionary tale. I wanted Not to the, ask Ali uh, what she made of Michelle Wee's performance and everything she said afterwards because it's uh, it's a real. It's a worry. It is a worry. I, to be honest with you, I think that's the first time that we've seen Michelle really open up ever mm. um, in in a kind of gut-wrenchingly honest way. She's spe- always kind of, you know, she's got her injuries and you, you see her limping at the US Women's Open two years ago. And I, I feel like the admission that she's actually quite scared about the implications of, of her injuries, she had wrist surgeries, had ankle issues. She's had just about everything. Um, she's changed her swing to try and match those injuries. It's, I mean, it's been in such a big production, but it's, it's actually, I think it's probably been quite freeing for her to get it out there. And she's such a lovely person, Michelle. She's universally popular, but it feels to me like, uh, well, obviously she wants to play to compete, but she, it feels like she's playing for other other people, you know, like she's got big sponsorship 
coming in all the time because she's so popular, um, so well-known. There would hardly be a better-known women's player in the world. Well, she's, she's been a needle mover for yeah. how many years? And, you know, there was, a, there was a really interesting debate on social media about the coverage of women's golf and what you have to do mm. in, order to, in order to get kind of butts in seats, to put it frankly, and to get people to watch it. And everyone keeps saying, we need another Michelle Wee, we need another Michelle Wee. And I actually think what's happened is the women's games come on so quickly. Well, every American says that. Yes. Well, that's Not, and and you know what? They're they're a big chunk of the viewership of women's golf. Yeah, but there are plenty of Michelle Wees in Korea, who Absolutely. are mega stars in Korea, as, uh, easily as big as she was in America. But bigger, Inji Chun. Yeah, bigger. Sung Hyung Park. Park. Yeah. Sung Hyung Park. I mm. saw her at the International Crown last year. She had to be shuttled because fully grown women, like like forty year old women, were chasing after her cart. It was like the Beatles when mm. they won on that final day. And they didn't have enough security to keep everyone back. There was honestly 10,000 people on a golf hole just swarming. But um, I don't know. It's a bit of a conundrum. For me, I think the issue is that people have to get on site to realise that the LPGA and and women's golf is actually a good product. I think that we're doing it a disservice, maybe even in the TV, that that what they're seeing on the TV screens don't match the product enough. I don't know. As an architect, I know that, Mike Wan apparently doesn't care about venues, and Hazel Dream is a classic and typically boring American championship venue. <laughs> Women's golf's got a great chance to go to the great American courses that don't need to be seven thousand yards for the men plus, and they go to a bunch, a whole bunch of pretty average golf resort courses. courses. Yeah, and I think one thing that would certainly make it more interesting for me, I'm a tiny per- percent of people who are interested in architecture, but would be to go to more interesting golf courses. You know, but that's a, but going back to Michelle, where it's a cautionary tale for young girls, you know, obsessing and getting injured and playing too much, too young, and turning pro too early. And I mean, she should have been Tiger Woods. She should have won fifty tournaments, dominated that tour. When she made the, she nearly made the cut in a men's tour event when she was fourteen. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah, and she's presumably done at twenty nine. She's done playing and. Speaking of ups and downs in golf and Michelle, we, I just wanted to ask you two as pros what you feel about someone like Ches Reevy winning a tournament, a big US PGA tournament, hasn't won a tournament for 11 years. Is there another game like golf? I don't, I'm not aware of any other game like golf where the game can come and go, even for good players, elite level players, how it can just disappear and someone could not win for 11 years. Well, I don't think he ever played Poorly though, did he? He was always there, no, I guess still was, keeping his card. That's you know. right. Yeah, he he wasn't. He you know he wasn't sleeping in the car park. But um, and you would have to. But say, he hasn't won for eleven years. But you would say in that, in that eleven year stretch, the game's almost passed him by in terms of power. Right. So he's not a big guy. He doesn't hit the ball like the guys who you know Kepka and Woodland and the guys who smash it. So in in that decade, he's seen the game completely pass him by in yeah. a sense. And you can still win on a shorter course like Hartford. Mm. You can still win. but And he played great golf at the US Open. But again, short course again. I mean, that was yep. irons and wedges at Pebble Beach a lot. So, you know, you, you weren't going to see him competing at, where was the PGA this year? Bethpage. I wonder how he did there. No. You know, he's not going to beat Kepka on a big, long, muscly golf course like that. So it's more about the opportunities that present himself uh, present themselves to him is going to be slightly different than yeah, some he's of the a, other guys. Zach Johnson, you know, guys who play well where you don't have to hit the ball 330 yards in the air to win. 
Fair enough. Which is increasingly the way men's golf is. I have, I have a question for both of you because you've you have both uh, you know been a part of the development of young players and and. Blakey, you've been probably across it in terms of tracking that development better than almost anyone in in Golf Australia. Um, when you have these young talents, you know, even looking back at a tire what what needs to be done so that they don't burn out? Because you look at the Lydia Coes and and a lot of the girls where it's it's so hard to nurture that talent. You know, how, how do you just stay out of their way? Well, Ollie Goss and Nathan Holman are two names that spring to mind on the male side, you know, Nathan Holman's not even playing anymore and he won an Australian PGA and Ollie Goss went over, what did he, was he runner up in the US Amateur and yeah. uh, did he win the US Amateur? Uh, no, he was lost to final. Lost to final. Patrick, yeah. And he went and played the Masters and all that. And Made he, the know, cut. People talked about yeah. how far he could hit it and I think the, uh, they have to have a life outside golf is probably yeah, the that's best the answer. They need a broader perspective. Otherwise, when it goes bad, it goes really pear-shaped. Yeah, you can get swamped by the game, can't you? You get consumed yeah. and swamped by it, and your whole life revolves around. And who's Rory was talking about it at the start of the year, not judging yourself as a person by your score you put on the yeah. table at the end of the day. Yeah. But it's hard to avoid that. You know, people, you know, I know with Sue, I, you know, she missed, what, six cuts in a row, and all I was hearing at Metro was, what's wrong with Sue, what's wrong with Sue? And it's like, you know, you feel like your world's, then you finish second again, and you make 175000 bucks, and all's good with the world. But, you know, it's a... You get judged by people and you get consumed by the game and it's tricky. You've got to have a perspective about and, – and habits – well, not habits, hobbies outside of golf. Yeah, it's, and that, that part of it in itself is dif- difficult because you don't actually work out what your other passions are. Sometimes you put into the game, you don't actually know what they, those passions are until you're 17, 18, 19, 20 and these girls are already potentially going to be out on tour. And we talked to Hannah about this, but they all stayed in a house last week and I kind of got the sense that Kari organised a house and so – Grace and Grace and Grace and Grace and Becky were in the house with them and Stacey Peters and it's a lot of Graces. So it sounded, yeah, you know, I was trying to think of Grace and Becky, <laughs> but it sounded like they just had a great time together. You know, the vibe in the house sounded like it was brilliant, and you wonder where we can ask Hannah about how much that had to do with. It, it might actually be quite significant. Everyone's state of mind and how they all enjoyed the week. Yeah, I can't wait to to talk to Greeny about it. But first, we're going to hear from uh, her coach Richie Smith, who is now. The, the coach to the two best-ranked women's Australian players in the world. So they've got plenty in common. Can't wait to uh, catch up with Richie. And it's my pleasure to say that we have him on the phone now. Richie, how are you doing? Ali, I'm, um, I'm excellent. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, indeed. Uh, give, us a little, give us a little clue as to how the last seven days have <laughs> been for you uh, after the weekend's play. Uh, well, if it's seven, it's sort of uh, it's been it's been busy. You could say I've had a lot of media, um, which I'm not really accustomed to. So I've, I'm just doing my best. Um, pretty exciting times, indeed. It's not something that um, yeah, I'm not used to it, but I'd, I'd like to get used to it. It'd be good. Give it, give us an idea of uh, of how much of uh, Greenies golf you actually got to got to see over the weekend because the, the time zones weren't they weren't friendly to you over back back there in Perth were they? Well, I wasn't in Perth for most of it, so um, I only got back to Perth on Sunday because I was in Japan with the uh, Toyota World Junior Cup team. So um, I saw the last round only, and I had to make some assumptions when I when I talked to her on the previous days as to how she'd played, um, 
And I, I used the LPGA website a little bit just to see her highlights. But um, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing last round. I, you know, I've not been in that situation before where I've actually been that nervous for a player. And you know, obviously, I'm invested with all my players, but that was something else. In terms of, uh, you know, every now and then when, when we're, I'm on the road with the LPGA, I, sh- I shoot you a message to kind of <laughs> get, get your thoughts. And you are regularly a very cruisy customer. So for you to say that you, yeah. were, you were kind of packing it, is, that's a pretty big deal for you, obviously. But <laughs> majors step yeah. it up to another level. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, it's, um, it's, a really, uh, it's a really interesting situation because, you know, you're confident in what you're telling people um, prior to them playing, but you're also trying to make sure that you don't give them information that screws them up. So um, it's you walk a fine line, and uh, I think I walked a fine line pretty well in this event, but um, it's it's something that's really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, most of the time when I watch the golf, I am yeah, relaxed because I've got no control over it, but I knew how much this event was going to change Greeny's life and certainly uh, I knew how much it was going to change a lot of the people who are around his life and it also has a, such a, a bearing on all the other kids that can now see that if you put in the effort and if you stick to a good plan, things will happen. So there's just so much benefit out of it. I just wanted it to happen. So, Richie, I'm just going to try a theory here. If you took, hmm. say... Tom Watson, when he won the Open in 1983, and you said, what's his game out of 10? You probably would have said 10 or 9. Or What would you give Hannah's game right now in terms of where you think she could be in 5 or 10 years as a mark out of 10? That's a great question, Clates. Um I reckon let's just split her game up into separate areas because I think that's... That's where the growth is going to be in, in separate areas. So I think that she's probably a 7 out of 10 for her short game. Because even though even though she's performed really admirably in this event, um, and, you know, she's performed at a 10 out of 10 in this event, there's no question. I think that she's still got growth in that area. I think her, her iron play is really very good. So let's say she's a 8 to 9 out of 10 there. Her driving's poor and her long game's poor, and um, it's certainly been a focus. I reckon she'd be a 3 out of 10 in that area, to be honest. A 3 out um, of 10, Richie? Yeah, well, I I do, because she's so strong, and and technically technically she's got a a long way to go there, and I, I I feel that as, you know, her service group and I have, have, have to do a better job in that area and we've got to get more out of her off the tee. Because so, I think if we can get that, she will become a truly, really good player. Because I think the other stuff, the the emotional stuff, that, that is also a skill and, and the ability to handle pressure, she is absolutely fantastic. She's a 10 out of 10 there. Yeah, she was 10 at that on the last half hour. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, the driving stats were pretty bad all week, weren't they, in terms of fairways hit? I mean, sometimes that's misleading. You can be missing fairways by a couple of yards in the fringe, or you can be missing it by 40 yards in the bush, and it's a, one's going to affect your score and one's not going to affect it, but she seemed like she was missing. The first day, I think she hit nine greens and shot whatever she shot, but 
Yeah. So it was a triumph of good scoring over great hitting. Yeah, I think we both know that fairway hits a pretty crappy stat. Yeah. So it's um, when you compare the fairways hit to the length of shot as well, that makes it all the worse because, um, you know, when you're averaging sort of 230 metres at her level um, and, and still hitting that lower percentage of fairways, you know, you're really behind the eight ball to start with. So short and crooked. You know, yeah, short and crooked, basically. Short and crooked and, is not good, and yeah. we, no, no, there's not there's no longevity in that. So you can have the best you can have the best short game and the best iron play game in the world, but if you're starting it from you know, negative positions then that's that's really hard. So that's a real challenge for us as a service group going forward to make sure that that is covered off. Mind you went um, yeah. sorry, go on. Yeah, that's um that will be addressed. Mind you, when she had to It'll do it... It'll take time, but it will be dressed. Yeah, when, so, she had, when she had to do it, she got on 16, which is the hardest on the course, and ripped it down the middle of the fairway. And so when, when, when she needed to do it, she did it. Yeah, and look, she, she did it on down 13, really. 13 was the one for me that really changed the tournament because, you know, she's come off three bogeys and four holes, and she just needed nice, solid par. And 13, she's just hit a straight one, set up the hole... And, you know, I think that really gave us some, some comfort and um, gave us some relief. And then, you know, to play 16 the way she did, which is a really tight driving hole as well with water on both sides. Um, yeah, she's won the tournament on that hole. But I, I still feel like 13 was probably just as important, even though it's a, you know, a 330-metre par four. Richie, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts. You know, we're, we're lucky enough that, you know, we're going to have Greeny on. Um, well, we've got her on the show. But... I want to kind of get an idea of the mind of the people around the player at a major championship. How, you, you know, you mentioned what, what kind of things that you spoke to her about kind of and the restraint that you had to use. I'm guessing, did, did you speak to her on, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night? And, and how did you manage your, that kind of communication in terms of how much you did or didn't give her given the situation? Um, yeah, sure. I think um, like earlier in the week, let's say it's Monday, Monday, Tuesday, we talked to her about technical stuff and, and not much. And look, I'm, I'm, she knows her projects and if I've done a good job, I just have to give her little reminders. So um, Monday, Tuesday's technical. Thursday, Friday, how are you feeling? Great. Look, you're leading. That's excellent. Keep up the good work. Saturday night, it's a um, case, how was that today? Um what I want you to do is I want you to ring me Sunday morning and then Sunday morning then we actually talked about the day. Um, you know, I just wanted her to have a good time on Saturday night with the other Aussies and have the barbecue that they had. And then, yeah, Sunday morning, just just try to give her um, a little bit of insight into what I think will happen on the day and then ask her to just spend some quiet time by herself thinking about different situations that might happen um, yeah, and what what she wanted to be perceived to be like, both from both from within herself and also within the, the players that she was playing with. Like, um, I'll give you an example. So, if she was uh, a couple in front, I wanted her to you know to really set herself to be aggressive and try and get the three ahead. And uh, or did she want to actually be um, 
quite calm in the situation and, and for our opponents to think, well, this person is rock solid, I'm, then we're not going to be able to beat her. And, and just to um, just to give everyone a sense around her that she was unbreakable. So that's, that's the sort of stuff that I tried to talk to her about and make sure that she just spent that little bit of time with all the stuff that was going on to have a little bit of time to herself so that she could steal herself. And um, I think she did it. I don't know. I haven't asked her if it worked. <laughs> uh, Richie, it's Blakey. Um, I'm just wondering if you've you hired yourself a manager yet now that you're one of the most famous coaches in the world. Am I? She <laughs> haven't even got full book I this morning, Blakey. I have to apologise for all those phone calls you're getting because I've just been giving your number to everyone in the media. Oh, really? Yeah, you can blame me. <laughs> Actually, I've kind of, Yeah, thanks, Blakey. I've, I've, I've kind of enjoyed it. Um, it's not something I'm used to. I don't. I don't like television cameras. I'd much rather be in the you background or in the shadows, just doing nothing. But um, hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted I've to ask about Hannah's journey because about uh, four years ago, I asked. I remember asking you how good you thought Hannah was, and you said uh, you weren't quite sure because you weren't sure what she believed. You know whether she really wanted to do it, and I think she's spoken a bit about this herself in the last few days where she was probably year 11 at high school and still pondering whether she would even turn pro um, and then she sort of reached a point where she thought yes so I guess what I'm asking is was she sort of in the shadow of Minji Lee a little bit maybe maybe lacked a little bit of belief and how did that change um but yeah she she's quite laconic in a way, like she's she's very much she's very much um, a quiet in the background sort of kid herself. And yeah, when you've got when you've got probably the best amateur in the world who's in your state team with you, and you've also got another absolutely fantastic amateur over in Victoria taking up a lot of the spotlight. Yeah, you are sort of hidden, and you know Suo and Minji were that for her. And um, but what people what people fail to recognise is that she was actually compiling a really nice, steady amateur career back then. But you know you can have the best amateur career, and you still don't really know what, how you're going to go as a professional because as soon as the um, I don't know I, I talk about the little red light on the camera. So as soon as the little red light comes on the camera and you're live and around the world, and the camera's on you. People change, and and I think she didn't really know how she was going to go with that because she is so so quiet and so introverted, and she likes her a little bit of her own space. But you know, we knew that um, there's something about this kid because you know she's played in the New Zealand Open with Lydia Ko, a New Zealander, in the last round, and actually matched her shot for shot. She lost, she matched her. And that's something that just doesn't happen if you haven't got something different, okay? And um, I think we've seen that come out, that the kid is steely and the kid is, um, yeah, she's really tough. And I've if we to... can get her golf to a level that is um, equal to that toughness, we've got a seriously good play on our hands. I wanted to ask you about her loneliness because, again, a few years ago you told me that she struggled with that when she first went out on tour and she again has uh, well you've spoken about this in the last few days 
a little bit as well. Um, she struggled with it, didn't she? Whereas, and Clates was talking about this earlier, she had a house full of Aussies there. Jared Felton, her boyfriend, was there. Sue O, oh, she started to travel with Sue on a regular basis now. When she's out on tour, this has been a, an issue for her, hasn't it? And she's getting on top of that. Well, I think it's an issue for all the kids. I don't think that she's uh, a lone ranger there. I think um, loneliness is the biggest challenge that we face on tour, and that's why um, our, our national body is, is looking at someone to looking to actually position someone over in the US so that she has access to someone really quickly if she needs it. But yeah, look, um, she's been really fortunate to have uh, some a good friend in Sue to travel with, and she's um, she's also really popular within the playing group. But it still doesn't it doesn't um, sort of take the spot of, of being back in back at home and sleeping in your own bed and your dogs next to you sleeping as well. And, you know, just, she's got, um, yeah, she's, she's, she's growing up now, but she'll be right. She'll be right. Richie, a final, final question for you. And I, I, I just retrospectively would love to hear what you've learned from this experience and how you think, you know, that we can, we can use that knowledge to kind of, keep nurturing this next generation that's just absolutely kicking goals at the moment? Um, I think what I've learned is that, well, anything's possible. So I've always said that anything's possible, but now I truly believe that anything is possible because here's here's a little girl that's, I've known since she was 12, that, that doesn't really have a massive pedigree of golf in the family. And, um, she has been able to win probably the second biggest tournament in women's golf um, with her B game. Actually, probably with her B minus game because her driving was just so poor on the event. Um, and that, that, for me, provides great incentive for all the other coaches out there, but it also provides great incentive for all the players that if you actually knuckle down, believe in yourself, don't get caught up in all the crap that goes on onto her, that anything is possible. That's a good way to put it. She's up to world number 29. And if that's any sign of the the things to come, then it should be onward and upward from there for Hannah Green. Richie, thanks so much for the chat. Um, I love how pragmatic you always are. And I think you're a voice of reason for both Minji and Hannah and all of the other players that that you govern. Thanks so much for your time. And I'm happy to say we're going to catch up with Hannah Green after the break. Stick around. It is an episode for the ages. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. I mean, I can, I'm pretty much speechless. Um, I was really nervous playing the last five holes, and I'm just really happy that you know I made a clutch putt because that was kind of what was struggling through the middle of the round. And yeah, just to make the one on the last yeah, it really is surreal. It's awesome. Um, I mean, I've always wanted to win in front of an Aussie crowd, but I felt like even though I'm not in Australia, that was what it was like today. Um, and even just to be winning a major as my first event, I'm just over the moon.
Few things in, uh, I think, in my career are going to give me more pleasure than the introduction that I'm about to make. And I, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, that anyone uh, that was even remotely on social media uh, on the weekend tried to drop everything that they were doing and get behind her this weekend. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome our newest major champion from Australia, Hannah Green. Welcome back to the show, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. How, how are you feeling? Where, where do we find you right now? Um, I think I still, it really still hasn't sunk in um, when you just introduced me then, saying major champ. It's still, it's very new to me, but obviously I need to get used to it because <laughs> it's happened. So you haven't changed your, your Twitter profile, your Instagram profile, you haven't chucked, chucked that little MC up on your, uh, on your links yet? No, I haven't, and I don't know if I will, but um, yeah, I'm certainly I'm getting a lot more followers, that's for sure. Oh, so it's just been blowing up, has it? Yeah, um, pretty much, well, I mean, the whole entire week, um, especially the followers, um, they were definitely increasing, but just the amount of messages that I've received uh, the last four or five days has been crazy. Um, I haven't, I still haven't even got anywhere near close to replying to everyone. Um, it's just really nice to see how many people are, you know, giving me some time to say congratulations. Well, the last time we we caught up with you just a couple of weeks ago, when you're at the at the uh, at the other major that seems far less important, all of a sudden, the what is it that little that small thing called the U.S. Women's Open? It's, you know, I mean, if you you know if, if you've got to win one, I think you want to win the Women's PGA, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know, um, quite short times in between uh, me being on the podcast, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're always happy to chat to you any chance we can get it. But um, just give us an idea, like take us back to kind of the, the beginning of the week. We, we, want, we want to feel the week with you and, and kind of what you went through. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how everything played out, you know, from, from Monday to Wednesday to, to start off, just to... to to kind of put us right there on the sidelines with you? Um, yeah, so obviously played um, even prior to Monday, I played in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, played the Maya Championship and uh, missed the cut. So that weekend I was working really hard on my ball striking because that's really what let me down. Um, didn't hit a lot of fairways and um, pretty much was missing in the positions where, where you know, you're sh- short-siding yourself. Just wasn't really playing too smart and... Um, I think I was a little bit rusty because the week prior I took um, time off from golf completely. So um, for me, coming into last week, I really was working hard on making sure that I was going to hit a lot of fairways and a lot of greens. But obviously with how difficult the greens are at Hazeltine, there's not a whole lot of break to the putts. There's very lots of little um, little slopes that possibly the I guess the eye can't see. So I decided to get a green book. So I think that was something different that I haven't really done in quite some time. But... Um, yeah, from Monday to Wednesday, I worked um, really hard considering I hadn't played golf over the weekend, so I was still feeling quite fresh. Um, didn't really do anything too different uh, besides playing on Monday. Kind of said to myself this year that I wouldn't really do that unless um, I hadn't played the pre- previous weekend or if I you know, was coming off a week off. So um, played nine holes every day. Um, I felt pretty good because I actually played one round in the morning, one round late afternoon and one in the middle of the day. So I gave myself um, at least some experience of playing at different times of day with, you know, obviously the wind direction and um, I guess the dew in the morning and just, um, you know, seeing how firm it gets in the afternoon. So um, come, I guess, Wednesday night, had a um, 
uh, late tea time, so um, had a lot of time to think, you know, get the pin sheet ready and get my yardage book ready. And, um, yeah, well, Thursday afternoon, um, didn't hit the ball grade at all, which um, I was pretty disappointed with, but obviously I hold a lot of putts, so I couldn't really complain about shooting minus four and obviously leading. And then um, I just really... Um, didn't want to think that, you know, I'd hold all my putts for the week on that Thursday. So I just tried to keep as positive as I could on the greens for Friday and obviously backed it up with a minus three. So I was really happy with that. But obviously my, again, leading and uh, in very new territory for me. So, um, yeah, lots of um, different things that happened that week, I guess, uh, in regards of positions that I've been in and um, all this type of media stuff. So, yeah, uh, Saturday and Sunday had a lot of Australians um, supporting me. Um, had Aussie barbecue on Saturday, which I really think helped uh, with my nerves and with all my thoughts um, coming into Sunday's round. So on on Monday, you you get out on site and uh, and it, it wasn't it wasn't a normal week in itself in terms of you know your your accommodation plans in terms of who was on site for you. Um, what what was the house like? So, and and tell us who was in it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Webby asked us, uh, Sue and I personally, about two months ago, um, just because we knew Hazel Team would be quite a hard venue since it has hosted a Ryder Cup um, uh, previously. So um, we ended up renting a house. Um, the scholarship holders were there. So it was obviously Kari, uh, Michelle, um, her manager, um, Grace, Becky, um, Sue and I and Jared was there and then also Stacey, Keith, uh, Stacey Peters. So there was eight of us in the house. Um, and even though there was eight of us, I felt like we didn't really see each other a whole lot um, till the weekend because um, we all kind of had different schedules. Kari and I were on the same side of the draw, but Sue was on the opposite. So um, we only really saw each other at night time because even our practice schedules um, were a little bit different the first couple of days. So um, it was a whole lot of fun, and I really don't think I couldn't have won without having like staying in that house. Who who was who was doing the cooking each night? That's what that's what I want to know. Did you is that a, is that a risk if if Suo's doing the cooking? Do you, do you not want an early tea time the next day? Who's in charge? Who's in charge of the food when you get there? So uh, on Monday, um, Kari cooked for us. We had chicken fajitas, and then um, Tuesday, Becky and Grace actually cooked for us. Oh, geez, so and think, you survived um, it. Yeah, we did. The girls made a um, stir-fry for us, so they went with something that, you know, That's pretty basic, not, yep. you know, yeah, so something you can't really mess up too badly. But um, this is when we were doing the puzzle. So uh, Kari, Sue, and I were just, you know, in the in the dining room, just, you know, relaxing, doing this puzzle. And there was a few weird comments, and then we kind of just looked at each other and gave each other a look and was like, oh, okay, so... Um, the girls did really well, though. All of us really enjoyed that meal. And then um, pretty much from then on, we all had different plans. Um, we had uh, takeaway most of the night. But then obviously Saturday we had the Aussie barbecue and then Sunday we had the celebration. So um, we all made it through the week. Uh, I think, honestly, if I, myself or Sue or even Jared cooked, then the whole entire house would have been in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everyone else did really really good for us. So. Hannah, we asked um, – we don't want to blindside you here or make you look bad. We asked Richie um, how he would rate your game now out of 10. And he went through uh-huh. kind of your mental game or, or your, the way you think about the game on the course, how you handle yourself. 
your irons, your short game, and your driver. So should we have a little test and see how your answers correspond to his? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> okay, well, let's go. Let, let's start with your the mental bit, which is kind of um, after, after out of 10, so. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so we're going out of 1 to 10? Yeah. We're going 1 That's to 10. That's yep. Okay. Um, uh, <clears throat> I personally would have to say like a 9 or 10 just because it was my first time in that situation. Um, I feel like putting, I would have to say was probably an eight or nine just because I managed to keep the momentum the whole entire week with holding putts. Um, I feel like my driver was like a three. Um, I didn't really hold, um, sorry, I didn't really hit as many fairways as what I'm used to. Um, and I think that was kind of, uh, what I was struggling with the pri- week prior, so that's why I was a little bit more nervous, but I managed to miss it in better positions as the week before. Um, but I think my iron play was still probably a seven. I know it wasn't as good as it normally was, but I still managed to hit a lot of greens on the second round uh, after hitting so late. That's that, not that many on the, the third. It's pretty hard to imagine that you nailed exactly what he said. <laughs> three, three, seven. Uh, ten, yeah. Ten, yeah, he gave your he gave your irons an eight or a nine, mm. but you 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 were bang on three. He said three out of ten for the driver, and we nearly ripped him a new one. <laughs> Although I think honestly, I feel like it's been one of my strongest points in my game recently. Uh, prior to these two weeks, so uh, hearing him say that is pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so we, one of the things that he, he did talk to us about was um, kind of what he spoke to you and, and your plan, I guess, for, for some of the, uh, for a lack of a better term, mental rehearsal that you did, in particular kind of going into that final round, you know, what kind of persona do you want to, do you want to have if you've got, you know, if you're one behind or if you're one ahead, do you want to play aggressively to get to three ahead and that kind of thing? Like how much... How much went on that, that wasn't on the putting green, the range and, and the short game area for you in terms of keeping that mind uh, in check and kind of practising those situations? Yeah, well, obviously, you pre- when you practice, you try and make it as um, pretty much like you're on the golf course. But obviously, that's really difficult with so many more things happening and it being such a repetitive swing and not just, you know, one one shot after the other. So. Um, especially with men- being mentally in that position, it's really hard to try and train and imagine yourself in that position. So what I tried to do um, personally was just um, make sure that I was, uh, wasn't was thinking about the shot that I was next going to play. I just wanted to make sure that I was just in the moment um, with the shot that I was currently about to hit or uh, playing. Um, I know sometimes that I'm, when I'm playing bad, I get too far ahead of myself and start to rush I am quite a quick player, but I know sometimes I can be even more quicker than that, which um, is way too quick. So um, even coming down the stretch, I think just talking to my caddy, talking to the other girls um, playing with me and Lizette in the last round, it was really nice that they were actually happy to chat. Um, Some players are different. Um, I mean, everyone has a different strategy out there, but some girls like to keep to themselves. So just even having the playing partners um, kind of relaxing me and talking and making me laugh, I think that's pretty much helped me to go out and win on Sunday. Hannah, it's Blakey. Uh, I'm interested in your mindset coming up the last hole because Sung Hyun Park, you see her make that birdie, which gets her to within one. You know that you have to make a par. 
and you're standing on the fairway, you've got a four iron in, um, you hit it in the bunker, uh, it's a tough up and down. Uh, I think you said that you were visualising the bunker shot that you hold on the maybe the first or second day, uh, and also talk us yeah. through the putt, which I think was, it was a knee knocker sort of distance, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so I knew um, when I looked at the yardage book and what club I was going to have in, I knew it was a long iron to possibly be even a hybrid. Um, and I, even before the round even started doing my pin sheet, I knew that I couldn't be aggressive um, to that pin with the wind direction. Um, one of the days prior, I actually had wedged into that hole, so it played very differently to how we played it the first three rounds. Um, so I knew that my plan was to try and run something up the right side of the green to get it within, you know, 30 feet and then try and have a tap in for my par. But um, as soon as um, it, I saw it go left, um, I knew that it was gonna, wasn't going to be too short-sighted if it got into the furthest part of the bunker and had a decent lie. So, yeah, I tried um, on the first round, I hold a bunker shot on seven kind of similar, um, was short-sighted but had a really nice life. So I was trying to, you know, feel positive momentum over that bunker shot. Um, and when it came out, it landed a lot further than I was planning, but it had a lot more um, side spin than I was going for. So uh, I really wanted to get it as close as possible, obviously within tapping distance, so I didn't have to really think too much. But um, I feel like I left myself a putt where I could easily see what the break was. It wasn't something, you know, hidden. So, I, and I'd had a putt similar. I mean, I've, everyone's hit a right to left putt before. So um, I just knew that I had to put a good stroke on it. Um, obviously, I would have liked, you know, maybe a three-footer, not a five-footer. But um, I just re- was really happy to see that go in and um, kind of reacted funny and just went and picked it out of the hole and just gave my caddy a hug like it was just the third or four, uh, the second or third round. But, um yeah, I just, I guess I was just so tense and nervous in that moment that that was just my first instinct to go get the ball. Why no fist pump? Uh, I've never really been one to fist pump. <laughs> um, I obviously did a fist pump on 16, but I really think uh, the last time I ever did fist pump was when I played the Queen's Cup last December. Uh, oh, sorry, not last December, the previous year. Um I've never really been one to get that way just because I want to keep my head as level as possible. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, obviously, there's moments where sometimes you do need to uh, pump yourself up and get yourself into that moment. And I think the fist pump on 16 is really when I was like, okay, you know, I can do this. Um, so, yeah, I, on 18, I think I was just so nervous. So I just wanted to make like end it uh, as soon as possible and just get that ball out of the hole. You do. I feel like there was a couple of really uh, kind of key key moments through, throughout the the final round, and I and I really want to get your take on um, on something that I think I think poetic's probably the only word that you can you can put to this ironically. But you know, you gave a, a golf ball to a young girl, Lily, at the ANA Inspiration earlier this year, and that small gesture came back to you. Um, full circle in probably one of the biggest moments of of your life in the form of her coming up and giving you a poem. Why I think it was on the was you waiting for the for the eighth tea to clear or something like that. You had a little bit of downtime. Can you tell us about that exchange? Yeah, so um, I guess there was a, a lot of we had big crowds even on um, Friday morning, which I was quite surprised, and we had a lot of girls out there following and. 
um, I was really happy to, you know, give high fives or, you know, fist bumps, whatever it is that people, you know, were trying to, I guess, put their hand out for. So um, had some time, hold the pot on seven. And then Aria still, oh, sorry, not Aria, um, Lizette had a tap in. So I uh, walked off the green and then I just noticed that the group in front still hadn't even teed off on the par three. So I knew this was time that I needed to just switch off and not think about what the current situation, obviously having 11 holes to to play, there's still a lot of golf um, left. So, um, yeah, I just happened to see these two girls standing next to each other um, and they were really close to where I was. So it wasn't like I was uh, going out the way. But, um, yeah, Lily um, had this blue little note in her hand and um, I gave them both a high five and then read the note and, you know, it was a perfect way for me to switch off and not worry about what was happening and obviously read the poem, read all the little, um, I guess, other little things on the note and uh, decided to give her a hug and then walk next to the next tee. Um, so that was kind of a really good thing for me to just be able to, you know, I guess ignore what was happening at the current moment and just switch off. And uh, Lily continued to watch me the whole entire round, um, even though the crowd's really big and um, she's only seven years old. She's quite small. I managed to see her out there. So when times were getting pretty tough through 12, uh, sorry, 11, 12, 13, um, I decided to read it um, just because I had it in the back of my yardage book. I didn't, I thought it was going to rain that day, so I didn't want it to get wet and ruined. So um, yeah, read it a couple of times Um on there she said I hope you win and um, me reading that really made me motivated to obviously do it for her but then do it for myself and do it for everyone so does she play golf I didn't even get to see her after the round um, I think she does has started playing golf um, she was there at A&A and I, I think at the time she wasn't but now she is so, so we think pretty cool so we think golf Australia should fly down to play with you in the pro-am at the Australian Open next year <laughs> yes yeah, I think, I think so. I think we should get that happening, that shouldn't we? Cool? Greg Oakford, you can organise that. <laughs> Stephen Pitt, you can organise that. The, the call-outs <laughs> the, the call outs are, be, are currently being made. Everyone's checking their frequent flyer points balance, I think, yeah. <laughs> as, as we speak. Um, in terms of, you know, I feel like, so you talk about the mo- you know that moment at eight, and then you go into a stretch of the round that I imagine would have been maybe the, a real mental challenge in terms of trying to, you know, I think it was three holes where you just were trying to kind of keep, keep your game together at one point in time. Can, can you talk to us about, you know, the, the thoughts that were going through your head during that run? Yeah, so the bogey I made on nine, I hit the green and had quite a long, um, I guess, birdie attempt and um, completely misread the putt and then obviously didn't have good pace to uh, follow it up. So I had still like a nine-foot putt for um, par and, um, I actually struck the putt really well and it just didn't go in. So, I, I mean, it was really hard for me in that situation to not be disappointed, even though I hit the putt exactly where I wanted. So I knew that I needed to stay patient. And even on 10, I gave myself a really good opportunity for birdie. It didn't go in. Um, so it, was, it, it is hard to not see those putts go in, um, especially when you want them so badly to go in. So I felt like on uh, 11, 12 and 13, uh, bogeying 11 and 12, um, I thought I was just rushing too much, but I mean, I left my, um, I guess the chips that I had uh, for birdie, I left them in good positions. I wasn't short sighting myself. Um, I just didn't execute the shot like I um, know I could have. So I know, um, especially once 
um, finishing 13 along par three, that 14 and 15, that was like a green light. That was my birdie opportunities for the round um, with a short par four and a um, short par five, I guess. So um, didn't capitalize on those two holes and I knew 16 was the toughest tee shot would probably face the whole entire round and haven't really hit too many fairways. Um, so I was just really nervous over that shot. I actually was contemplating whether to hit three wood with my caddy, but I knew that three would, would leave me a longer club in, obviously. Um, so I was like, you know what, now's the time to really step on it, so I need to hit driver. So I guess, um, yeah, obviously making birdie on 16 helps and then having a short, the same club in on 17. But, um, yeah, I guess it was a really – there was a couple of stretches out there that were really tough. Uh, mentally as well as, I guess, physically hitting those shots too. What happens now, Greeny? I know that you've got some media to do. Um, when do you start sort of switching back on again? Yeah, so I've um, obviously got some media stuff to do today. I've had a radio interview already and I've got one soon after uh, this this call, but um I've also got an um, interview with Channel 10 tonight. So there's a lot of things that I'm doing today. So I just feel like I haven't really had much time to think about the out, like what's really happened. So on Sunday, um, I think that's pretty much my last day of you know doing everything so that I can finally enjoy and celebrate with friends and family. Um, it's definitely been uh, very new to me having this much attention. Um, I feel like I'm handling myself all right, but I just feel like I'm repeating myself so much. <laughs> You're handling um, it great, Greeny. I feel like... <laughs> Have you done your shopping uh, I yet? Like I know you said you wanted a Vinci handbag and a Cartier ring. Has that happened yet? No, well, poor, poor Perth is so small that don't, they don't have either of those friends. <laughs> um, so I was talking to Sue and I said, I might have to make a sneaky trip to Melbourne. So who knows? <laughs> oh, please do, because that, that's where we record this show from. So if, if you do come over, you, you let us know. Now, what's, who's been the, what's the one message that you've got since, since the win on Sunday that's been kind of the, the standout message, aside obviously from, uh, from having Kari there on the green, because I know that there's very few things in your life that, that is probably, um, quite frankly, going to match having her there on the 18th and, uh, and her role that she's played through, all throughout the week for you. But looking back, what's the, what's the, have, we, have we heard from ScoMo or anyone, or has he been too busy? To, he's, that message is still in the mix. Um, honestly, I haven't even got through all my messages, um, so I wouldn't even know if I've missed anyone out, but I have been on Twitter and I have seen, obviously, uh, Gary Player and Annika Sorostam um, writing a congratulations, but I think the most thing that I was surprised was to see how many other tour players have sent me a message or, you know, said congratulations on their Instagram posts or on Twitter, um, it's just really nice to have support from the girls that you're competing against with every week. And in, in I just I want to just kind of go back to the the house that you know, and because yeah. I I think there's something to this, and I, I was talking to Clates about it before we came on the show that that I think there's actually a, an element of a formula hidden within this win that you know that maybe we can all take something from because you know you had you had Kari Webb in in the house with you you know a, a multiple major champion herself which i think naturally kind of develop you know you develop this trust that she's going to look after you that she's going to create an environment for you 
that is going to help you, especially on that that Saturday night. And then you've got, you know, Becky Kay and Grace, who are two of the most ridiculous human beings in Australian golf, (laughs) who who took it, you know, so far to the extreme with their support that it would only ever, you know, the amount of times that I saw you look into the crowd on that Sunday and smile, and you just know, you know that it's them shouting out something absolutely ridiculous. They were all over Golf Australia's Instagram story as well. But, but just having, you know, having those people around you and then Jared, obviously your partner as well, who's who's a pro in his own right, but having those people around you and creating that environment, how important was that? Oh, I think it was huge. Um, Even just the first couple of days um, to have the girls out, I mean, obviously Jared there, just, um, I guess, really distracted me from what was happening. Um, I feel like that's probably why I've had the results I've had even at the Aussie Open um, because the people are going for me and, I guess, screaming out Greeny or Go Hannah and it really just uh, distracts me from what's going on and makes me laugh and makes me smile and, I guess, makes me really enjoy the round so it gives me positive vibes. Um, I I don't know. I've said this, I guess, a couple of times but I really don't think I could have won this week without them um and i'm really happy that i did just looking about back at all the videos of them you know spraying beer all over me on the last round like it's just a really special moment to spend with all the people that i'm really close to um i really didn't imagine my first win to come so soon but i really didn't imagine it to come with so many people there from australia and that are so close to me around obviously i would have loved to have had my parents there um, hopefully now they can come out and watch me a bit more. But, um, yeah, it was just, I guess, meant to be. So was your dad really playing pennant on Sunday or whatever it was when you? <laughs> yeah, he was playing on Sunday, um, which is funny, but I don't think we'll be playing this Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> when's the party, Hannah? That's what, that's what we want to know. When's, when's the celebration where everything comes together and you, you get to kind of let your hair down a little bit? Yeah, well, um, it's actually one of my best friend's birthday on Friday. So um, I'm seeing Richie, uh, Marty and Jordan, all my staff tonight for some dinner. Um, So that'll be a little celebration before they go to the Houston camp next week. Um, I'm going to be seeing my family, one half of my family on Sunday, oh, sorry, Saturday um, for lunch. So I'm just slowly seeing people in um, groups, I guess. Um, but I think next week sometime, once it's all settled in and I've had some rest, um, then I'll do something uh, a bit bigger. Well, Clayton, you looking at me? No, no, no I'm just um, I'm contemplating whether John Huggins going to claim you as half Scottish shortly or <laughs> well, well, I know he already has. So, he already has. You know, so um, <laughs> Huggy will be looking forward to catching up with you at the Vic Open next year, I'm sure, to write about yeah. Scotland's newest superstar. <laughs> Oh, I love it. That's funny. That's when you know you've made it. Is when other countries try try and claim you. I think that's that's the, <laughs> that's the top of the pile. Um, Hannah, congratulations from from everyone here and from all of our listeners. Um, I feel like you know ever since you kind of burst out of the scene over on the Symmetra Tour in 2017, that uh, then everyone's been you know a, a part of your journey and you've let us be a part of it. And uh, I think that there's few people that uh, would be you know, anything less than ecstatic about you in this weekend. And uh, you know what? I hope it's I hope it's a sign of many more things to come, and I think we all can pretty much agree on that. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. All right. Hannah Green, just the third ever female major champ from Australia. What a thrill to be able to 
to watch it and talk to her today. After the break, we'll be back with some general business you're listening to Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Absolutely unbelievable to hear from Hannah Green. What a week it's been for Australian golf and uh, and Australian sport, in all fairness, in on the women's side of things. Uh, so general business just to take care care of now to wrap up the show. Blakey, you've got a couple of things on your on your little yeah, digital t- notepad. You've gone you've gone digital this week. You're not analog with bit your, of, your pen and paper. Bit What's of this? everything. I'm moving into the new world, <laughs> the digital world. Hey. Um, Jason Day finished tied eighth in the Travellers, which we talked about before. We didn't talk about Jason. I just read a quote from him afterwards saying that he, he hit 80-plus percent of greens that week, which means that he mustn't have putted very well. But uh, it's a good sign, I think. Well, there's always a correlation between... You love the GIR. Well, there's a correlation stat, between hitting lots of greens and not making lots mm, of putts because... You're giving the opportunity. Yeah. You know, Aaron yeah. Badley doesn't hit a green and makes every putt. And, Chip it to three feet yeah. and putt it in. Yeah. Mm. Um, not to pick on Aaron, but, you know, there's a <laughs> – and, and the best ball striker, Peter O'Malley, hits every green and never holds a putt. Mm. So – and if you get both together, you're Tiger Woods. Well, your birdie putts are going to be longer as well if you miss the fairway. Yeah. So yeah. It, it works its way all the way back through the game, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It seems bizarre to me that as good as Jason is, he's placing such a – Emphasis and reliance on Steve Williams. I mean, Steve's a good caddy, but really interesting. Come on, you're the best player in the world, man. Well, you know, you don't need someone to tell you how to play. Surely, at was he thirty? At least, mm. probably, you know, like, I mean, Steve's a. You know, I, I think you can put a bit much emphasis on all the things a caddy can do for you, when you're already that good a player. You must know how to play by now. I mean, Jason, surely, you know, he's. One majors, well, he won a major. He's been in contention a bunch. He's won a bunch of tournaments. Been the best player in the world. You know, surely it can't be up to a caddy it, to get you to the next level. It's certainly that it's a different look for Jason to have a caddy as strong and strident as that. As um, because he's had a couple of mates on on the bag for the last well, eighteen well, months. Well, and then he had Cole good, in the bag. Good so players and Cole, who was so his mentor, probably never had a. Can you can you say real caddy before? Well, I wonder if the it's that concept of for me. You know, and, and we've spoken to Hannah, Hannah about the impact that Kari Webb's had on her. If it's that element of of trust, it, you know, under the pump that that person is is kind of going to steer you in the right direction, that they are completely across what they're doing. They've been in that situation a mm. hundred times. That that because he hasn't really, you know, all of the all of the caddies that he's had have been with him mm. the whole, you know, the whole way, and have been almost driven by him rather than. Correct. Maybe having the caddy now that's going to steer him a little Correct. bit down the stretch. I don't know. So it's totally different. And I think, watch this space. Uh, open championship coming up. You know, he's hitting the ball well, obviously. So, uh, look, it was a quiet week, Ellie, as far as pros other than uh, Hannah Green's mighty performance. But on an amateur level, uh, David McLusey got to the semi finals of the British Amateur. 
Perfect result. Don't want to win that tournament. We spoke so about what, that last what's time. What's that about? Oh, it's a complete dud tournament to win. It's, it's, it's absolute, <laughs> There's a moz. Absolute complete dud. Just make sure you don't win the British Amateur. Why? Is well, it a curse? Is why? there something going on there that I'm not aware well, of? Well, we spoke about this last week with Peter, Terry Gale won the Singapore Open in 1978. And Peter, oh, Tom, she... Peter Thompson walked up and said, well done, Terry. But he said, not That's a good it. one to win this. That's <laughs> the end of you. Kelly said, what do you mean? He said, look at all the blokes who've won it. He said... I had to three-putt the seventh myself one year to make sure I didn't win. <laughs> so when we, yeah. It's the, like, is that like the um, par three comp at Augusta? Yeah. Well, the, mm-hmm. in fairness, since 1980, which was about the time where there was a clear delineation between guys who won the amateur who essentially didn't turn pro to when everyone who won, everyone basically who won, won the amateur turned pro after that. And apart from Sergio... Garcia, who beat Monty in the final, and Lazabal, and Lazabal won as well. Not one of them's ever done very well on the tour. That's really interesting because it's really different on the women's side. So, uh, and and the US, well, yeah, they've had a bunch of great winners in the women's amateur, and a Norquist won and a few yeah. others. But Carlota mm, Segunda, other yeah, yeah, Munoz, completely like different. Leona Maguire, like there is a yeah. huge yeah. list of. And the US men's amateur is an amazing record of winners, but the British amateur is a complete dud. <laughs> Apart from the fact that you get a start in all those majors. Yeah. Well, that, 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 um, no, Michaluzzi, you know, keep a watch on him. He's, you know, we've had really him on good. the program recently. He's going to have a year of playing these big events before he turns pro and he's going to go whoosh, I reckon. Uh, Cassie Porter uh, finished tied first in the World Junior Golf in Japan. It's a team's event, but she was tied first in the individual, which is a great effort. Australia finished fourth in the girls and 10th in the men's. So I wanted to mention that. Um, a couple of little bits and pieces. Wade Ormsby turned up at the Grange East the other day just playing because he's, I remember mm. they're having a bit of a break from European Tour, shot 61 in the in the club comp, had 42 points, I think. Not bad. Not too these, shabby. These pros, when they, you know, the good pros, when they get on these older courses. Yeah, if he's playing in the comp, you can assume the tees were in the middle. and It was probably a midweek comp. Every hell's a wedge and... <laughs> have a good day with a wedge and you shoot 61, right? While we're on the subject of, of Adelaide, I read an interesting little article about, this is going to sound really, really bizarre, but the, the dog day. Did anyone else read about oh, yeah. the dog oh, day? Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great idea. Royal I, Adelaide, I think it's it? brilliant. It's yeah, brilliant I think idea. there was 50, 50 people, 29 dogs, if I'm not. Royal Adelaide. Yeah, Royal yeah. Adelaide. Because yeah. with Jeff Slattery, a friend of mine who you know, well, Blakey, we've been having a long discussion with the powers that be at Metro. Yes. Because dogs and golf go together in England, especially Britain, but everyone walks with their dogs. Not everyone, but if you have a dog and you want to play golf, you take your dog and you walk and you play golf and the dog's there. And it's not something you see in Australia, but it's such a great tradition and culture and it's something we should be encouraging in golf. And You, know, you, you, you want to grow the game? Let people go out after four o'clock and kill two birds with one stone and play golf and walk the dog. It's not going to, the world's not going to fall in. If we take dogs on the golf course. No, it's a fair point, actually. I was oddly having this conversation with the TV crew last week, and they were all talking about how they were training their dog to be on the golf course. And they're like, yeah, he's not quite getting it. He's, you know, he's two years old. He sees the golf ball and he goes and grabs the golf ball. And then I have to change it because it's got a tooth mark in it and that kind of thing. But it's <clears> just, it's never a conversation that we've had in the, no. in this country. But it's, it's crazy because it's such a part of the culture of the game in England and Britain. That, what other sport can you do it at? Yeah, it's, it's just, Very few. It's frustrating yeah. that people don't see that even if you just do it after four o'clock, how it works and the world's like with the long argument we had about long socks and how the world was going to fall in <laughs> if we let people wear short socks. I mean, really? 
when the world doesn't fall in if we let these things happen and come on, get on with it. Hashtag doing it for Jared. So this is coming up in August. Uh, you can register at the Challenge Cancer Network website, which is challenge.org.au. If you're a club, we're encouraging uh, all Australian golf clubs to set aside a competition day during August, which is the, it's the anniversary of the great Jared Lyle's passing. Uh, to raise some funds, and the, the money will go to Jared's gift, which is Jared's particular uh, focus, uh, uh, the area of, of focus at, at Challenge. So there's a lot of clubs getting into this. You can do what you like. You can just uh, take a, a gold coin donation from every player, or you can run a big day of uh, do what you like. They're happy for you to do what you like. So there's a lot of clubs doing this. It's in August, and go to challenge.org.au if you want to do that. And Ali, you're calling the Open Championship. That's that's an interesting move. First time, uh, <laughs> yeah, it will be actually. It's the way that the tell schedules, us a bit about that. Uh, well, the way that the schedules are working out. So I leave on July twelfth to go over and uh, and do three majors in a row, which is probably going to ruin me. I've got another two events off the back of it, so five in a row. But doing the Open, I think. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. I'm going to be buzzing regardless. They could put me on coffees and I'd probably still be happy. So um, I went and had a look at Royal Portrush when uh, I was over hosting the the coverage for uh, the women's amateur at Royal County Down and went and had a look at Portrush and, geez. Nice. Oh, yeah. It's got a, it's a golf course. I mean, I actually, I mean, it sounds negative to say, but I was better suited to Royal County Down than Portrush in terms of. I mean, how great is Royal County it, Down? Well, that's it. Wow. I mean, if ever you're going to. Come second to a course, it's probably going to be that. That's the some I can't remember being taken by a golf course more than Royal County Down in terms of the first fourteen holes. Um, but but Royal Portrush, you get out there and the first four holes kind of lull you into this sense of security, and then you turn this corner to five, and it is like an absolute slap in the face. Just the beauty, you're going straight back into the wind. Um, you can see the you know the the white caps on the ocean, and you just look like you're hitting straight back towards it. There's a couple of real signature moments when you walk around that golf course. But, you know, anyway, so I'll be doing that. And 1951, Max Faulkner. So I know you know that. <laughs> you know all about your history of the British Open, right? Uh, I've, well, I've obviously read up on the last time Good. I was there, but, uh, you know, I've been looking more back into form so was Peter, on that golf course. Was that course. Peter Thompson's first Open, I think? It was. It was Peter Thompson's first Open. The first he played? or the First he played, He yeah. didn't win there. Did no, he finished sixth, mm. yeah. Mm. Which Ali also knows. Who are the top five? Your brain plates. plates. Who are the top five? It's a scary place. Come on. Max Faulkner won. I don't know anything else. (laughs) That's all I know. You can bet Bobby Locke was in there somewhere. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, We should, uh, we've got some good news as well uh, overnight. We should give our congratulations to uh, Matt Griffin and his his wife, Liz, who have welcomed their uh, little baby Jack into the world. No doubt he's going to be a D's supporter. He does not have a choice. No choice. No No choice. It's like a religion in that mm. family. So um, some great news. But, um, guys, it's been uh, great having your company and, and pushing me around in this role as well. But this this episode for me has been one of the highlights of the year. And I, I hope we get more epi- uh, more episodes like it, quite frankly, because Aussie golf's in a really good place. But, gee whiz, what a week. So thanks, Blakey. Good on you, Ali. Thank you. Clates. Thanks, Ali. Enjoyed it. Yeah. So tune in next week for, uh, you know, hopefully some great news again in Australian golf. But thanks for tuning in to Inside the Ropes.